0: And this evening, we'll be reading Genesis chapter 2, just uh, verses 15 through verse 17. Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. Listen now, once again, to the reading of God's holy word. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Seek the Lord's blessing on this his word. O oh, gracious God in heaven, how we do praise you and thank you for Again, the opportunity that we have to come before you to worship and to consider the truth of your word. And as we consider this particular topic this evening, we just pray that you would lead us and guide us and help us to understand the truth that is here. And that it might strengthen and encourage us in our faith and our walk with you. That we might be fully equipped to bring all glory and praise and honor to your name in all that we do. And so we ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, after the Lord God created all things by the word of his power, he created from the dust of the earth a creature that was unique compared to all the other creatures that he had previously created. On the sixth day, God created man, created man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the uniqueness of man was that he was created in the image of God. No other creature that God made uh, bears that image of God. Bearing the same image then, of course, enabled man to have a special relationship with God, one that God chose not to have with the other creatures. And this relationship involved God communicating with man and fellowshipping with him in the garden. It also involved God delegating to man a a certain task and duty to fill the earth and subdue it, and also to tend the garden which God had especially made uh, for man. But then God chose to enter into a more special relationship with man, one that would bind God to certain promises and one that would bind man to certain obligations and blessings. The simple terms of this relationship were that if man obeyed, God would bless him with life. But if he disobeyed, God would condemn him to death. This relationship is often referred to as the covenant of works or the covenant of life and is laid out here in Genesis 2. But first we want to consider what is a covenant. A covenant is an agreement or contract and it consists of the declared terms according to which a relationship is initiated or maintained. The terms of the covenant specify the basis, the nature, and the conditions of a relationship. Covenants can be made between individuals, can be made between groups or even nations. <clears throat> Biblical covenants are most often made between God and mankind, with God being the one who sovereignly determines the terms. Biblical covenants often include the same parts or characteristics, and so we have, for example, the parties of a covenant. The parties um, are just who the covenant is between. And biblical covenants include the parties often of God and of mankind, or of a particular man and his descendants. These aren't covenants between equals, But they are covenants between the sovereign creator and the creature. Covenants also uh, typically involve commands or uh, obligations. They're often commands that God will establish. Simply, you will do this or if you will do this. And this delineates man's responsibility. It often has promises. Promises. And this uh, delineates what God will do. He makes covenant promises in these covenants. If you do this, this is what I will do and how I will bless you. God is faithful and he always stands by his word. And of course that covenant faithfulness of God is one of the great uh, attributes of God uh, that we trust in and we enjoy and uh, is a great blessing to us. Well, along with the the part of the conditions is there may be penalties. So if you violate the covenant, uh, then what will happen? It's unfortunate what would happen. We don't keep God's covenant commands. There's penalties that will be lodged against us. And as we'll see, death is the chief penalty for violating God's covenant. And then uh, there oftentimes may be a sign. uh, Some covenants, but not all covenants, have a sign given to help us look to- for, or look toward the God who gave it. And so these are some of the basic features of uh, the biblical covenants. Well, there are several different covenants that we read about in the pages of the scriptures. And the Westminster Confession deals primarily with, uh, with two, which are the two covenants that uh, really uh, mark the whole of scripture. The covenant of works... And the covenant of grace. The other, the other covenants that we find in Scripture uh, are related to these, and they show how God has continued to reveal Himself throughout the throughout history, and how He seeks to engage His people uh, in relationship. They also serve to uh, give a fuller expression. Uh, specifically to God's covenant of grace in Jesus Christ. And so many of the biblical covenants that we see God making with individuals and peoples after the covenant of works uh, really flow out of the covenant of grace. And so, for example, we have God's covenant with Noah in Genesis 9. Uh, Genesis 9, verse 9, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, And so there's God is at identifying the parties. There's God and and Noah and his descendants. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. There's the covenant promise. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant. So here's the covenant sign. Uh, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh." The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So there we see some uh, basic features of of the covenant, the parties. Uh, We see the promise, and we also see a covenant sign. Another covenant we find is an important covenant is the Abrahamic covenant, uh, God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, Genesis 17, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. So here God is making a covenant with uh, Abraham, but again, not just Abraham, but with his descendants uh, in view, because he'll be a father of, of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. So there's again covenant promises. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And that phraseology right there that I will be your God and you will be my people is covenant language we find uh, popping up in many places throughout the scriptures. He says, also, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land which you, uh, in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And so here's the covenant obligation that they are called to be faithful to God. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And so here we see circumcision as uh, the sign of the covenant that God makes with Abraham. And so again, we're seeing all these different features of uh, these covenants uh, that God uh, makes with mankind. And then I'll jump down to verse 14. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And so there's the, the penalty. Uh, if there's a, a refusal or a failure to circumcise of uh, the male children, then they will be considered as covenant breakers. <clears throat> well, another covenant uh, we find in scripture is the Mosaic or the Cyanadic Sin, uh, covenant. Uh Basically it's the covenant God makes with people of Israel uh, on Mount Sinai after the Exodus. Exodus 19 now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And so there we see the promises. God has engaged the people into uh, the obligation. In this case would be uh, the Ten Commandments, which, uh, will, uh, Moses, which the Lord will soon give to Moses right after this. But, um, but we see that uh, entering into that relationship with Israel and uh, calling them out to be his own special people. And then we have the Davidic covenant, the covenant God made with David. Now, therefore, this is 2 Samuel 7, verse 8. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler of my people over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will point a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and have no, have, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since that time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that, you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. He will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. This is the covenant promise that's coming here with David. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, here's the the duty and the, the penalty, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you and before you, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And so here again, we see this idea of the covenant being uh, made with Adam or with uh, David, but it's not just with David, it's with his a seed after him, ultimately culminating in, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that uh, is really showing us that each of these covenants that God has made uh, with these individuals and with these people, all flow out of the covenant of grace because they all eventually point to uh, fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who is the second uh, Adam. And so, uh, so God establishes these, this covenant of grace and. But we're not talking about the covenant of grace uh, specifically this evening. But I just wanted to to mention that the covenant of grace and uh, that these covenants that we read in um, in the scriptures are outworkings of the covenant of grace. So they're all tied together, uh, except for the first one we mentioned, which was the covenant of works. And we'll get to the covenant of grace at a, at a later time. But this evening, we're really looking at the covenant of works that we find in Genesis 2. Well, as we consider the covenant of works, we first must ask the question, why why is a covenant necessary? Well, the Westminster Confession notes this, that the distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part which he hath been pleased to express by way of covenant. And so there's several things to note here. First, we consider that truly the distance between God, the creator, and man, the creature, is very great. The prophet Isaiah says uh, in Isaiah 40, "...who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and uh, taught him in the path of justice?" Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. Well that sounds pretty humbling. And so we see that there is this huge difference between God, the creator, and mankind. And second, we see our knowledge of God depends on God and his desiring to reveal himself to us. And so God has revealed himself in creation and through his word and decided to reveal himself even more intimately through a covenant. Third, God engaging us in covenant with himself is a voluntary condescension on his part. As God didn't have to engage us. It's purely out of his good pleasure that he establishes his his covenants with mankind. God could have let Adam alone in the garden. He could have let him uh, just try to figure out on his own what he was supposed to do and why he was there. But God chose to engage Adam in a covenant relationship. So that Adam and all of mankind whom Adam represented might know their creator uh, more personally and intimately. And fourthly, we see that the ultimate goal of the covenant is for mankind to see God as their blessedness and reward. So what works out for God's glory is our great benefit. And so consider these aspects of the covenant of works. The first covenant made with man was a covenant of works, wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity, upon condition of perfect and personal obedience again that's the Westminster confession and we find this for example in in the passage we read in Genesis 2 the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to intend to keep it and the Lord commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die and so that was the foundation of the covenant that God uh, required of man it was uh, perfect obedience. The parties, of course, involved here are God, the gracious initiator, and Adam. Uh, but Adam, of course, doesn't stand alone in this covenant because Adam is the father of all humanity. He stands then as our representative or as we often refer to as our federal head. Adam acted on on our behalf And we are therefore held responsible for his actions in the covenant. He was the best that mankind had to offer because he was upright and he was a sinless man with the freedom to choose either good or evil. No one born of Adam is able to say that they are upright and sinless and fully free to choose between good and evil. And so this is important to remember because the covenant works, and the covenant of grace are two distinct covenants. Adam, because of the righteous state in which he was crea- created, had the free will to choose good or evil. He had the ability to attain life through his work of obedience. That's why it's called the covenant of works or the covenant of life because by obedience he could uh, by his own works of obedience he could attain life. And we'll see the covenant of grace is different because it's offered to rebellious sinners who are incapable of achieving life. And some today tried to blur this dis- this distinction between the covenant of works and the covenant of, of grace, but they are two very different covenants, and it's important to keep them sorted out. And so Adam, as our federal head, was our representative in this covenant of works. And because of his this relationship between Adam and all humanity the covenant of works has not been revoked. As the RP testimony notes, that all men remain under its requirement of perfect obedience and will have to give account according to it at the last judgment. And so the covenant of works being the first covenant that God made with mankind is really a standard by which uh, by which we stand or fall in God's <coughs> sight. And Paul reminds us that we all fall short of the glory of God. In other words, right out of the gate, we're already in violation of God's covenant of works, and because of our sinful, uh, our sinful state, there's no way that we can achieve its commands. Which again is what makes the covenant of grace necessary for our salvation. That another would perfectly uphold God's covenant of works in our place, so that uh, we might kind of hang on his coattails so to speak well the commands that god gave to adam in the covenant works was to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil adam needed to be perfectly obedient to this very simple command and this was the chief command There were also other commands that God had given, keeping the creation ordinances, uh, like work and marriage and the Sabbath day. But all these were going to be affected if Adam didn't obey the very chief command. And then, of course, we have the promise. The promise is not explicitly stated here, but it's rather uh, implied. If Adam obeyed God, then he and all his descendants would have life in close, intimate fellowship with God. And of course, the penalty, the Lord lays out very clearly, the penalty for disobedience and violating the covenant was death and the outpouring of God's wrath upon sinful man. So what happened? Well, we know the results. In disobedience, Adam ate and sinned against God, thus violating God's covenant. And because Adam sinned and died spiritually and later physically, so we too, whom Adam represented, we are guilty of sin and are dead in our sins and transgressions, and we are deserving of death in God's just and righteous wrath. Again, as we read in Romans 5, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. We all bear the guilt. ...of Adam's sin. Again, the RP Testimony notes... ...that by this principle of covenant headship... ...the guilt and penalty of sin... ...came upon all men by Adam's one sin. And that's the covenant of works. It was uh, given... ...because God condescended himself... ...in order to engage mankind... ...this creature that he created in his own image... ...in this special relationship... And our best representative messed it up. And we fell with him in that great sin. But we're not without hope because of the coming of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the testimony continues, And by the obedience of Christ, the second covenant head, righteousness and life come upon all men who believe. So death came through Adam, and life comes to us through Jesus Christ. And we'll consider how Christ accomplished this when we consider the covenant of grace. But Christ perfectly fulfilled the law and the demands of the covenant of works. He accomplished what Adam did not do, and what we, on account of our sinful nature, because of Adam's sin, could not do ourselves. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so Adam failed at the covenant of works. But Christ, the second Adam, came, and he perfectly fulfilled the covenant obligations. He perfectly obeyed the Heavenly Father. And because of Christ's perfect obedience we are now enabled by His grace uh, to come to Him and to enter into this new covenant which He has established for us, this covenant of grace, as we believe and trust in Him and as we look to Him for our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, and, of course, that glorious promise, that covenant promise of the eternal life in His glorious presence forever and ever and ever. Amen. So praise God for the covenant faithfulness of the Lord and Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and heavenly Father, we again rejoice and give thanks for your truth to us this evening and this reminder about the covenant of works and how our father Adam failed. And because of that, we who were represented by him are born in sin. And we are unable to fulfill the duties and obligations placed upon us by the covenant of works. But you are pleased to enter into a covenant of grace with us through Jesus Christ. Who would fulfill the duties and the obligations of the first covenant that we could never fulfill. And he did that on our behalf. He even, he even endured the punishment and the curse that that covenant required for disobedience. Christ took that upon himself so that we might have life, so that we might have the forgiveness of sins in him, so that we might have the true and sure and certain hope of eternal life in your glorious presence forever. We praise you and thank you, O Lord, for your grace and your mercy toward us. And we ask you we continue to bless us in these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.